Well, bless the name of the Lord, saints. It's so good to have you gathered with us one more time. We're excited to have you with us. We're blessing God for you, and we're praying that God is keeping you, keeping your mind, your heart, and your spirit during this difficult season. We know that our God is yet able, and that our God is in the blessing business. <clears throat> I want to tell you, some folk are going to prosper even in a pandemic. You can write it down. You can mark it in your heart. Some people are going to prosper even in the pandemic. God is going to cause his manifestation and his blessing to come even in hard seasons. God has a way of making a way out of no way. And so I'm excited to have you join with us tonight. We're tonight, we're continuing our lesson on the quiet mind for troubled times quiet mind for troubled times. We've been, this is the 24th iteration of this message, the quiet times, the quiet mind for troubled times. And tonight I want to lift up, again, we have foundational scripture. Yeah, Psalm 46 and 10, which simply says, be still and know that I am God. I have, um, I've been dealing and trying to speak to your better mind, your spiritual mind. I want to speak to your real self, not your false self or the outer self that is, puts on airs in front of other people. Instead, I want to speak to your real self, the God self in you, that part of you that has the God consciousness that allows you to do what can only be seen as extraordinary, only extraordinary in relation to what other people do. You know, other people get a hold of um, hurt and pain and hate and, and they hold it for life. But those of us that are believers know how to channel it and filter it out and come into a different place. And so I want to speak to that part of you that will allow you to live the kind of God life that God wants and God speaks of in Luke 6, that you can bless those who curse you, that you can do good for those who uh, mistreat you in any way, that you can give even to people who don't deserve it, that you'll be the kind of loving individual that you can love your enemies and do good to them, even though they may not deserve it. You can live the kind of life that you can live it judgment-free, so that you're not walking in condemnation of others every day, but instead you're forgiving even as you know you've been forgiven. That kind of life requires a God consciousness. It requires a God centeredness. And uh, we left off last week. We walked through some areas last week that were kind of difficult, and I'm going to reenter some of that tonight. But I want to reenter it in, in, in another way. I want you to realize that conflict or personality disagreements or um, things that disrupt fellowship is a part of the normal uh, daily life. That you cannot live in this world completely conflict-free. And I know most of us try to be conflict avoidant, we don't want to have any trouble, don't want to start anything, uh, you know, 
we, we, we often tell people that don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. But we don't want to start and we really don't want to be a part of it. But just living creates the conflict of existence. Personalities getting together creates the conflict of existence. If you really think about it, the very first book of the Bible begins in conflict. Two people, two brothers there, four people in total for a moment there, two brothers, they can't get along. And conflict, which ends up in murder. It's interesting that if you read throughout the Bible, conflict in community is a normative. It's, it's something that happens. And it's no wonder that when you read the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you start reading those books, you, what you really discover are the number of ways that God gave the children of Israel to create community and to avoid conflict when possible and deal with it when necessary. It is almost as though God says, this is going to happen, so here's the solution for it when it does happen. Here's my command. Here's best practices. Here's the best way to live. But because you're not going to be able to live up to that, here's the solution for how you live in a world where conflict will happen. In the New Testament, you find the same thing in the example lifted up in, in, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and all of the epistles. If you really pay close attention to Paul's writing, the, the first writing in, in Romans is more theological. It's answered some issues and questions that people have about theology, but not really dealing with a lot of conflict. But by the time you get to 1 first, first Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and on through, Paul is dealing with direct issues that are happening in the life of the church. He's saying, this stuff's going on, and here's the solution. This is going on, here's the solution. Here's how you handle this. Here's what's going on here. Here's what happens with married couples. And before married couples go off the rail, here's how you handle it. Bring your marriage together and keep a loving heart because conflict can even happen in a loving home. It's important you realize that because sometimes people want to make you think you're the only one that ever struggles with other people. Um, you're the issue. And it may be, and so you really should take note if you've been told that and say, okay, God, if it's me, show me myself so I can correct my own behaviors that are bringing these things to pass. But sometimes life is just filled with stuff. Um, you saw a hold to his hand, that song, which that time is filled with swift transitions. The reality is that there are multiple transitions that can cause multiple conflicts and multiple issues, and they all must be dealt with. They're never comfortable. And so when we reach into this chapter, we deal with one conflict that is a conflict among believers, and we will extrapolate from it to conflict in general, but this is believer conflict. Meaning two people from the same fellowship are having a disagreement, and how do we fix it? And I like to use that 
And, and I, I, when I come back, if, if you want me to, and, and you can put it in the chat, I, I'm, I'm going to talk a bit about grudges today, but I can do just a, 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 a greater work on that because we need to talk about some stuff people are holding on to, which are, are not new things. They're holding on to old things that need to, as time has, pass away, but they're still struggling with them. So take a moment right now. Go with me to um, the book of, of Matthew chapter 18, which I asked you to read repeatedly last week. So go to Matthew chapter 18. And while you're opening up your Bibles, I just thank God for blessing his word and blessing the people of God that will hear your word and will heed your word so that we can be governed thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, beginning of verse 15. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If you won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. Wow. It's, it's interesting because this text suggests that you can just kind of get in your mind that there will be a conflict. There's not speaking to any particular thing that has already happened, but there will happen. And when it happens, it needs to be dealt with. And we need to have a conversation. We need to try to reconcile. We need to work towards the reconciliation. We need to see if we can come back on the same one accord and re-enter into fellowship and walk in the spirit and love of Christ and in forgiveness. And that's what seems to be pushing this. It's pushed and pressed into that believers ought to always be working to make things better. Better with each other, better with God, better with the world they're a part of. And if they walk in perpetual conflict, they're not making things better, they're becoming bitter. And nothing like bitter Christians. Bitter Christians are the worst because they walk around with a chip on their shoulders 
and they have a high-minded attitude because they believe they know the Lord, and in some cases they believe they're doing God's bidding, and that the chip on their shoulder is only there because they've done God's bidding, and that's why people have been nasty towards them, and they never think they need to apologize for anything, never think they need to reconcile anything. If they want to straighten it out, they should come see me, and they are right in one respect and completely wrong in the other. Because if you've been offended, it's important that you realize something from this text tonight. This is, this is big right here. I'm going I'm to mess somebody up because when you really read it, the King James Version says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Uh-oh. Before I make my point here, let me say it again. Go tell him his fault. Listen to me. Here's my first point tonight. Responsibility or resentment. Responsibility or resentment. Remember, the offended must show the offender the offense. The offended must show the offender the offense. This is church conflict now. This is among believers. But it works in life in general. You know, someone could offend you and not know they offended you. That's why we call them sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of commission are ones that I meant to commit. I was looking to do that thing. Sins of omission are things that were wrong and I sinned. I did sin, but I was not intended to be a sin. It was an accident. It was something I wasn't intended. It was an unintended consequence. Question about unintended consequences always asked, well, should you have been able to forecast that unintended consequence? I was watching uh, the tennis match the other day and uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, got angry in the first uh, part of a couple games, and he hit a tennis ball into the side of the stands. Of course, there are no, no fans there. Okay? Calm yourself down. He's playing again, and he loses a game. And then you lose a game where he is actually the, the server, which means he loses a game that he should have won. And he, without looking, hits a ball behind himself, and hits the person, the judge, behind him in the throat. At which point, by tennis rules, is an automatic ejection. Automatically, he's expelled from the game. He defaults. The game is over. Number one player in the world. He was probably more than guaranteed to win what might have been, I think, the 19th time, 19th major. He was the top seed. He was playing very well. But, he hit the ball without looking. By tennis rules, here's what the te that te tennis rule says. He's responsible for the ball, and he, even though he didn't know the judge was there, he should have not been reckless with the ball. So the unintended consequence is still on him as his fault. If he had not been upset, if he had not been mad, he would not have done it. Of course he didn't intend to hit that lady in the throat. Of course that didn't, it wasn't intent. 
But the, the reason the rule is there is this man can hit a tennis ball over 100 miles per hour. If we let him just hit him any way he wants, he could kill somebody. Now, he did not hit it at even 20 miles an hour, I don't think, but he could have. The rule is there to protect others, and tennis players are taught that. And so sometimes you can commit a sin, and there's a repercussion. He's not out of tennis. He's not kicked out forever. It's just one, one tournament. He will not finish. There's a punishment attached to it, yes, but this is not a sin unto death. It's not a death notice. You're not kicked out of tennis. You're not, there's not an albatross to carry the rest of your life. And things like that happen. There are times in your life when you, whether intentionally or not, hurt someone. And maybe that happens and not without your knowledge, you don't even realize you did it. I know I've certainly done that in my life. Sometimes I've done it just by the way in which I carry myself, the answer I may have given, the way in which I was thinking versus someone else's thinking, and the unintended consequence is that they were offended. But the problem is believers have a responsibility to show the other individual the offense. Give me a chance to say I'm sorry and to beg for your forgiveness. Because if I'm wrong, I'll take the weight. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I messed up, I messed up. If I'm wrong, I can apologize. I'm not too proud to apologize to say, hey, I blew that. And that's the way believers ought to be. We ought to be responsible enough to say, hey, that hurt me. That hurt me. That didn't feel good. I wish you would have said that another way. You know, if you did that differently. You know, sometimes we, don't, we do that with our, our mates, our spouses, and, and we will be hurt by them, by the way they phrased something, said something, did something, or acted in a certain manner, and we won't say anything, but we'll walk around hurt. And that hurt ends up building up. And before you know it, later on, you'll explode over something that is not even consequential because you wouldn't say, ouch, when you were hurt. But it's your responsibility. You've got to say something. You've got to say, I'm hurt. And, and you've got to come. Listen, listen, you need to go to the individual if you can. I'm not talking about here. I'm not talking about somebody that has assaulted you, abused you. No, no. I'm talking about believer to believer now. I'm talking about normal course conversation, working life. I'm talking about what happens then. And in that case, what you need to do is to say, look, this should not have happened. This is how you made me feel. This is what went on here. The responsibility the text gives, not Benjamin, not, not Bishop, the text gives that responsibility to the offended. And it's important we see that. It's important we get that. But it's either responsibility or resentment. Now, why do I say or resentment? Because if I don't act on it, if I don't say anything, if I don't do anything, sooner or later, I'm going to be, I'm trying to find a polite way of saying, P.O.'d or upset, mad, 
angry, disappointed. Sooner or later, I'm going to get upset. It's going to come out. Let me tell you this. Believers, listen to me. Resentment is not an option for believers. Resentment is not an option for believers. Man, that, that, that'll preach right there. You're better than that. You don't want to walk around in that spirit. You don't want to walk around feeling that pain. You don't want to walk around holding that in your spirit and, and, and as a grudge against someone. You don't want to be giving somebody the side eye because you have resentment against what took place. Hey, that's not an option for you as a believer. Not when we can fix it up. Now, 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 this text does not suggest that every person you confront that has offended you is going to come back and say, forgive me. No, some people are going to be just as obstinate and mean and crude, and in which case you have to forgive them and move on with your life because you don't tried your best to reconcile. It's not your responsibility to make anybody forgive you or to make anybody ask your forgiveness. It's your responsibility to point it out to them. That's your responsibility. I, 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 I need you to understand something. You know, the question is, what is resentment or grudge? And, and, and how do I get rid of it? What, what's that resentment? What's that grudge or a grudge? And how do I get rid of it? How can I get rid of this? When I ask that question, what is resentment or a grudge, what I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm saying that this text speaks to that pain that happens after you've been offended. That's what this text speaks to. And it speaks to how you do not have to let that pain get into your spirit and ruin your place with God or with others. So, so get this now. A grudge is a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. That's it. It's a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. Now you have to know this, sometimes you can have a grudge and not even know you have it. But sometimes past insults and injuries leave you with a grudge. You know, let, let's, let's, be, let's be honest about it. Some of us are holding grudges that we've had for years. Some of us have grudges that we've never even talked about. I'm not going to delve into it. I told you, if you, you hit me in the chat, I'll, I'll do it next week. But, but, you know, some of us are 45, 50, and 60 years old, and we're still upset about things that happened in childhood. Mama treated so-and-so differently. Mama treated this one differently. I didn't get this from my father. Or my father insulted me in this way, and I'm still hurt about it. And we're holding it in. It's a grudge. We try to get over it, but we haven't learned how to release it yet. We still have it with us. We're still carrying it. 
We're still upset with the teacher that told us we weren't smart enough. And we still have a grudge against that teacher. Matter of fact, we could call that teacher's name and it was back in the sixth grade. We hold those things in. Some of you right now I'm talking to, someone talked about your body and they said your shape was this or your shape was that or you were too light or you were too dark or you were too tall or you were too short and they hurt you. They don't even know they hurt you. woman the other day, there was an article in the news that talked about a woman who lost 80 pounds because her ex-boyfriend said she was too fat. Now, God bless her for losing 80 pounds. If you want to lose 80 pounds, that's wonderful. But, but she says she did it to get back at him. I, I understand using any motivation you can to lose weight. God bless you for motivation. But let me tell you something. There's no revenge in that because what it means is that relationship, those words in your spirit are still ringing, they're still controlling, and what happens once you release it? Now you have no other motivation to keep the weight off and you bloom back up. Look, you have to do things for you. You don't allow grudges to be your driver. You don't want to lose that. You're better than that. Let's be honest. Grievances unchecked become grudges. Grievances unchecked become grudges. There's no doubt in my mind that if you don't work through the grievance, it's going to become a grudge. Grievances unchecked become grudges. That's just how it is. If you don't deal with it, it's going to linger on you. Oh, you, you may compartmentalize it and say, I'm just through with it and, and ain't no more to me. You're dead to me. It's over. But the reality is a grievance unchecked becomes a grudge. And that's all that's going to happen. You hold on to it and it will trouble you. So I want to suggest to you, do not hold or harbor grudges. Do not hold or harbor grudges. Don't do it. Do not hold or harbor grudges. Now, of course, you're going to want to know why. Why, why, Bishop, why should I hold or harbor grudge? And, and I, I, I pulled this from the uh, psychological realm when I shared this with you because this is both spiritual and psychological. I want to tell you this. Grudges have the power to make you physically, psychologically, and spiritually sick. They've got the power to make you physically, psychologically, or emotionally, and spiritually sick. They'll do it. You only realize you're sick, but you're sick. You'll be dealing with it. High blood, upset stomach, head hurting, because you're mad. And in some cases, you can't even remember why you're mad. But you're still holding on to something. Let, let me see if I can work with it again. Watch this now. Watch this. Look, grudges, uh, Dr. Karen Swartz from John Hopkins, who was a psychiatrist, 
offers these words in an article. She says, grudges have a corrosive effect on your emotional and physical health. Being stuck in an angry, unforgiving state puts your body into fight or flight mode. Put your body into fight or flight mode. When you're in that state where you're unforgiving, you, you don't even realize it. Either you just want to get away from them, I don't want nothing to do with them, or you're ready to fight. And if they're in your presence, you only feel one or two emotions, fight or flight. I'm talking right down somebody's street right now. Don't get mad, grab hold of this word. This is a word for you, it's a word for you. This is a word for you. Let me tell you, she goes on to say something else. Karen says this, hormones that are released can raise your blood pressure and heart rate and put you on edge. And the negative, untrusting mindset you hold may spill into other relationships. Lord have mercy. I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. I've got to deal with this stuff. I've got to handle my stuff, my issues. I've got to confront things that are, that are bothering me and people that are bothering me. I've got to deal with it. I've got to deal with it. Sometimes you just got to handle it. Handle it, handle it, handle it. You see, you must learn to deal with resentment or grudges. You must learn to deal with it. You gotta learn to deal with it. You must learn to deal with it. You must learn to deal with it. You gotta handle it. It's not gonna handle itself. You've got to handle it. You've got to take control. Now, what's important to me when I say this to you is that it leads to my second point in here, which is it's either resentment or reconciliation. Resentment or reconciliation. Now, a lot of little gray areas in between, but it's resentment or reconciliation. That's all it is. You've got to decide, am I going to go around with the spirit of resentment or am I going to go around the spirit of reconciliation? Your choice. Your choice. Look at verse 16. I've got the New King James Version just for clarity because uh, I can break the verses up here. It says, but if he will not hear you, so you went to him and you told him the false, but if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Look, in other words, work for that reconciliation. Try to make it happen. You know, I love the way the Bible puts this, and we don't often preach this, but it's great teaching. But I love the way the Bible puts it because it says it's going to happen. And private, private uh, conversations, private dialogues are the best. But if you can't have a private dialogue, bring a witness or two. Because now you can 
keep in, in the Message Bible everybody honest. Keep everybody honest. This is what happened. This is how I felt about it. This is what took place. This is how I felt about it. Okay, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? This is what happened. How do I feel about it? Where do we go from here? We can work towards reconciliation. You know, um, the Message Bible says that when you do this, if that person listens to you, you will have gained a brother. You will have gained a brother. Well, I want to just say this to you, brothers and sisters. We always are in the business of wanting to gain and keep brothers and sisters. We, we don't, we don't, we don't, there are no expendable people in my life. There's nobody I can say, hey, you know, I could do without you. No, everybody's important. I, and I'd rather work towards gaining someone than simply just ready to throw somebody away. So I'm going to work towards gaining a brother or sister into the fellowship. Gaining a brother, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for God to bring in reconciliation. And so the reason why I went and told you and the reason why I want us to talk and the reason why I came back with a witness is because when I told you, you didn't receive me or you didn't believe me and I wanted to give it again and see if we could work towards an end that will work for both of us. And sometimes it, it may actually be that you have to agree to disagree, but we're gonna reconcile anyway. We don't remember the facts the same way. But we're going to have to reconcile anyway. I don't want to lose you over that. I don't want you to lose me over that. I don't want to lose fellowship over that. That's the mindset the believer has to come in with. I'm walking in a mindset of forgiveness. I'm walking in a mindset of reconciliation. I'm not coming in with a mindset of I'm going to get you told. See, that's that, that's that flesh mindset. I'm going to get you told. I'm going to straighten this out. Oh, no, no, I'm going to straighten it out. Don't worry, I'm going to straighten it out. I know what happened. I'm going to straighten it out. And the truth is, as I said to you last week, you could have a set of facts that are factually true but are not completely accurate to the whole situation because you only see one part of the picture. You could tell somebody tonight, I saw Bishop on... on uh, on, on worship service and, and Bishop was sitting there and he has a sign behind him and, and he just with Shiloh on it and he's in a small room and, and, and you now you were right up to the point you said I was, on, I was on, I, with a sign behind me the truth of the matter is I'm sitting in the middle of the sanctuary you can only see what you see You only get partial. And sometimes the part we have is true, but it's not the whole story. So you have to be open to that as a fact as well. That your feelings might be absolutely right based on what you saw, but there may be more to the story. I don't know why it is people have to entrench into this, this bifurcated dualism. This, this, this either or, black or white thinking. I got it. I know what happened. 
you know what happened from your perspective. We don't have to dishonor that. We don't have to act that that, that wasn't true, but we don't always know the whole story. We don't always know the whole story. I was, um, I don't know if any of you, if you get a chance, you know, uh, the death of Chadwick Boseman is really a, a loss to the cinematic um, viewers because God only knows what he might have done in the future as an artist, as a person. And um, one of the movies he made was a movie called Marshall. And uh, it's the third good Marshall story. And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, you really ought to see it. It, was, it takes place in Connecticut and they're prosecuting a young man for rape of a, of a Caucasian woman as an assault. And they, they're telling the story, and Thurgood is, is trying to tell this other lawyer who's with him, who goes on to be a phenomenal lawyer and a phenomenal champion for civil rights. Uh, he, he's telling him about what needs to happen. And the lawyer, from his perspective, a young Jewish lawyer, thinks that he is, his whole career is shot. He's got everything on the line. I'm giving up everything. People are going to look at me funny. They're going to talk about me. Da-da-da-da-da-da. You have nothing on the line. You're not dealing with anything. You're not going through anything. Without knowing that at that same moment, Thurgood has just wiped the tears from his eyes. He's been crying because he just got a phone call from his wife that they had lost their child. You're not going through anything. You're not dealing with anything. He is bawling on the inside. He is crying. He's broken. Yeah, you're telling the truth. As a young lawyer, it's going to change for you. You're one of us now. They put you in with the NAACP. They see one. Yes, that's true. But my truth is still my truth. I'm going through too, bud. I'm hurting too. I'm crying too. I've got a lot on the line. I've given up a lot to be here personally. Two things can be true at the same time and it doesn't make you a liar and it doesn't make your feelings any less valid. Okay. Third point. Third point. It's important you got to get this out. It's reconciliation or reproach. Reconciliation or reproach. And I put there last resort. Reconciliation or reproach. And I put there last resort. You see, it's too easy for us to say, I've done all I could and later for you. Here's the text, verse 17 says, if he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be unto you as a Gentile, an unbeliever, and a tax collector. Let him be reproached, let him be rebuked. I wanna just say this to you, brothers and sisters. That's the last thing that you should ever want to happen. That's the last thing. That's the very last thing you should ever want to happen. That, that, that someone has been so wrong that you just got to give up on them. You know, let me just be honest. God didn't give up on you. Why are you so willing to give up on other people? 
you know, you know, some of us act like we came out the womb smelling like roses and that we never had a, a, any poop to stink and no, nothing's ever been wrong in our life. We just been goody two shoes and oh, we the sweetest honey pie, apple pie, sugar plum. We just, oh, oh hey, hey, hey. The devil is a lie. You have sinned, listen to the word, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've made mistakes. You said things you regretted. Stuff came out your mouth before you got control of it. You said things without thinking. You hurt people before. You know, because uh, hurt people hurt people. You've been hurt, so you try to hurt them back. So don't go acting like you all that in a bag of chips with your own dip. No. The last thing you ought to do is want somebody to be thrown away. Why do you say that, Bishop? Because you don't want God to ever throw you away. Lord, look, just because I'm old, some of y'all join me now, you're old and you can't do what you used to do, you don't look like you used to look, you can't run like you used to run, you running around ain't on your mind, hey, don't mean you never had it on your mind. Just because you don't lie now don't mean you never lied. Just because you're holy now, some of your holiness can be attributed to your age and not to your own wants and desires. The truth of the matter is, we all are imperfect trying to serve a perfect God. And we ought to keep that in mind. I, I, wanna, I wanna close tonight I'll come back because I want to deal with those grudges again. Maybe I'll get to it next week because I really want to deal with it a little stronger. I want to give you some more remedy for the grudge issues. But let me just give you this again before I leave you tonight. Something happens at the end of this segment here. And Peter lifts it up for us. And he gives us something. You know, the text suggests that he gets courage and he speaks up almost as though it's in the same conversation, no way of knowing whether it is or it isn't, but almost as though it's in the same conversation, he says, ah, now Lord, it appears to me, I'm just talking, you, you, you stay with me for a moment. It appears to me that what you're talking about is forgiveness. It appears to me that you want us to forgive people that do us wrong. Now Lord, this forgiveness thing, I'm gonna do it because I, I know the scriptures. I'm gonna do it. But looks like we ought to have a limitation on how much forgiveness we're going to give out. Because some folk can give on your last nerve and they no longer deserve to be forgiven. So uh, can we get an arrangement here as to how many times I got to be engaged in this effort of reconciliation that means I got to forgive somebody? Can we just, you know, Look, if they mess up the first time, I'm good. I'll even go up to the six and seven time. Can we put it at seven? Because after seven, I figure, hey, you know, they ain't no good nowhere. Isn't seven God's perfect number? Sound like a good number. I'm not being mean or rude. It sounds like the number of grace. Seven's a good number. I like seven. You should like seven. I picked a good number. 
seven times, they mess up, then at the seventh time, I get the right to tell them to go below the earth where the flames are really hot. I didn't say it, Lord, but you know what I mean. H-E double hockey sticks. Hades. Show. The burning flame on fire. I get to, after, after seven, they can go straight to, praise the Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, hold up, bud. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Try 70 times seven. Lord, that's just too much. I can't keep up with the count. That's just too many. That's too many. That's too many. I can't, I can't keep up with the count. Lord, 70 times seven. Uh, do I have to keep it in a record book so I'm sure when I get to the end? I want to give you three quick things, and I'm, I'm closing. I'm almost done. Three quick things in the last few moments I have that I want you to get in your spirit as I set up for next week and to deal with those grudges. Three quick things get in your spirit. The first of which is this. Forgiveness is an holy act, is an act of holy remembrance. Forgiveness is an act of holy remembrance. You need to hold that in your mind right there. Lord, how many times should I forgive? I, I'm, I'm tired of forgiving. I forgave them last time. It's a holy act of remembrance. I, 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 need, to, I need to remember, I need to remember that I've been forgiven and so I offer forgiveness. Now, when I come back, you'll see why I said this because I'll give you scripture to line up with this, but I just want to give you these three to hold on to and then you can, you can come back and let me, let me bless it down for you. I'll break it down. Number two, forgiveness is an act of a healthy recognition. A healthy recognition. That is an awareness and juxtaposition of facts of facts. I know it may seem redundant to the first one, but it's not, and I'll show you why next week. Stay with me, stay with me. Hold on. I got something for you. I got something for you. I'm feeling something up in here. Hey, y'all. Woo! You, let, I, I'm going to give you this piece, just this little nugget to, to tease you for next week. Not only remember your blessings, but see yourself in the reflection of the other. Not only remember your blessings, but see yourself in the reflection of the other individual. I see you, and in seeing you, I see me. I see you, and in seeing you, I see me. I see you, and in seeing you, I see me. And I told you last time, as I close this out tonight, 
and I'm going to end as soon as I can. I'm going to stop right on this one. But forgiveness is an act of a heart responsiveness. A heart responsiveness. My heart must respond to what my heart has been given. My heart must respond to what my heart has been given. You know, when your heart has been touched by God, touched by the Holy, your heart must respond to what has been given. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. When you know God has blessed you, you know that you don't deserve what God has done for you. Um, I told this before, I'll share it again. Um, I, I knew a man one time who, who went to jail and he said, I said to him, I said, man, are you upset over the amount of time you got? He looked at me, he said, if they had got me for what I really did, because actually they, they gave him a sentence based on a crime he swears he didn't commit. So I said, are you mad about it? Are you upset about it? He said, no, I'm not mad about it. I'm not upset at all. He said, if they had gotten me for what I really did, I would never get out. I'll take what they say I did. And watch this, because now if they say I was there, I couldn't have been where I really was which would have given me, y'all missed it. I realize that what I've gotten, even though it ain't good, is better than what I should have had. You know what? When you realize that the life God has given you is better than the life you deserve, the forgiveness God has given you is better than the forgiveness you deserve, the love God has shown you is better than the love you deserve. You know, that boy said, you thought I was worth saving so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping so you with you even though you weren't worthy treat folk like God would treat them love folk like God would love them be an example of what God wants to see in you 
Not what the world does, but what a believer does. What, 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 do, I, what do I need to say, Reverend? Did he say hallelujah? Did, did he, did he, did he? You, you, you missed that. You, you missed. You, you, I wish somebody would help me out there. You ought to just tell God hallelujah. 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 Glory to the God who changed my life so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could tell. Come on, Minister Lamont.